Good day, Rugby Coffee listeners. We are on episode four of our podcast and we welcome today a voice of rugby, a rugby World Cup commentator, an ex-USA Sevens International, a Ronda Bosch old boy, and now a Rugby Coffee ambassador, Dallin Stanford. How are you, my man? I'm doing really well. I, I like your take on the American accent. So I, mine, mine's not that good. I do say yes instead of yeah, though. So that's, that's one thing for you. <laughs> no, look, I've, uh, I knew I'm, I'm going to be really bad at the accent, but I had to attempt it. So how have you been? What have you been up to? Yeah, it's been good, my friend. Um, uh, actually, we, my wife and I moved from the West Coast, from Los Angeles, to uh, a place called Westport, Massachusetts, just south of Boston. And so really enjoying the outdoors um, and just a quieter kind of life during this, these tricky times. Uh, work-wise, have to be creative as well, like, you're, like you guys, and uh, do some o- online remote projects on the go currently, you know, uh, which, which has been great, keeping me busy. That's a great year. I've seen some of those, and we will get to those. But... Before from the off, let's let's do a nice kickoff with you doing some uh, gold dust Dallin Stanford commentary. Oh, it's a brilliant steal from corner to run the live way they call the wine barrel, steamrolling his way towards the line. He's got more steps than the Great Wall of China. The number six, as elusive as Donald Trump's taxes. Oh, what an offload to a flying Tina spinner. Thank goodness he caught that. He's been as useless as a meatless bride, but hold on. He's just fried the fullback like an egg and scores in the corner. One of the great Springbok tries. Pinner, more dangerous. Big climate change. <laughs> you, you got that more dangerous in. Amazing. So how did you come up with that? Well, I suppose uh, I've always always been uh, a person big on comedy, British comedy. And um, and so when I got involved in broadcasting, you know, I, I'm a very enthusiastic, excitable person. So I bring the energy in that. But I also like to, you know, break sometimes the games get a bit long and uh, I think humor is a very important part of that I know when I was a player I enjoyed having a laugh and so as a commentator I try to bring that through and so um, some of the lines write themselves during the game um, others you can think a little bit of a scenario ahead of time and have that in your kind of back pocket um, but it's all about timing and things like that so um, I, for that for that one line with climate change I, I knew I wanted to use it at some point but it had to be the right moment uh, and the right play and it just it was cool that it happened to be during a Springbok game as well. Yeah, no, I, and I was at that game. It was amazing, um, you know. And then you've got um, Matsushima. Um, yes, Matsushima, exactly. Yes, Qatar. Yeah. What, so what the, was that one? The, yeah. The, so the the um, um, in part, part of the Rugby World Cup was obviously we got a chance to travel around to ten different pool matches to, as a commentator and. The game that I enjoyed, one of the one of the most exciting games was Japan against uh, Samoa, and we had forty thousand fans at uh, Toyota Stadium, packed, and um, literally Japan were defending. They had to get turn possession over in the final play of the game, actually minute eighty one, and they needed to score a fourth try to get a bonus point to keep advancing to the quarterfinals. And so there was a lot in the line, and they finally pinched the ball and. With the clock going red, the ball spun wide to Matsushima. He dived in the corner and everybody erupted. And uh, you can even hear the comment. You can't even hear me that well because the crowd's going so wild. But uh, the line I'd kept for a particular moment was uh, this Matsushima. He's so uh, scary. Even Freddy Krueger has nightmares about him. Uh, and so <laughs> I, I definitely enjoyed that one. And yeah. so hopefully some of the fans did too. That, that was amazing. I mean, 
you know, um, especially that moment, you know, like you say, that timing of things. And uh, I mean, you you now a professional. This this is your job. So, um, how did you get into commentating in this broadcasting media game? Yeah, I've always I've always been interested in sports, and and uh, you know, as a, I think I was always destined to be a commentator because I talk so much. So my friends will tell you that, and my mom actually, uh, yeah, she uh, she's a nonstop chatter and. Uh, you know, as a youngster, my my father was quite um, uh, quite an advocate for studying and getting you know getting a backup in case you know professional sports didn't work out, and so that was pretty wise. And I've, I studied marketing, advertising, so I always enjoyed the media side of things. And I even did a thesis on the effectiveness of sports sponsorships back in the day in Cape Town. And um, you know, after I finished playing in South Africa, I went to the US and got involved playing. And then after that, I was thoroughly enjoying interviewing players, interviewing people. And so I got a chance to be on the sideline for a couple of games uh, um, at in the city of Glendale, Colorado, Rugby Town, USA. And then they moved me to, uh, uh, you know, being an analyst and then finally to play-by-play, which is the lead commentator. And that's where I felt most at home, calling the live action as you see it. Um, and that um, that's kind of, they gave me the opportunity in 2012. And since then, I've thoroughly loved it there'd be no school though that's the tricky part there's no broadcasting school you go to and so you just need to practice to get better and and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't i got fortunate um you know i was enjoying myself and i got seen by the world rugby folks and that's how i got into the sevens world series and then then uh, world cup you're amazing uh, you just um, could hear that passion um and you're, obviously your knowledge is there of the game because you played at a high level but you know, that passion of the game coming through and, as you say, adding the, a bit of humor to it bring, brings people to the game, isn't it? Yes, I think I think you're 100 right. You, you know, so you know, you you tend to see what's out there, and 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 there's so many brilliant commentators I've got a chance to listen to over the decades. Um, they've honestly their voices are amazing. I enjoy their Scottish voices, you know, English. And so while my voice is not great sounding, you know, I obviously I have the excitement, I have the passion, um, and spreading the love for the game I think is important through through its values as well. So as a broadcaster provide that education and then as as you know we've just spoken about i think it's so nice to have a one-liner or have a little joke here and there obviously not every time but but it does it does bring the audience in and if they're able to have a chuckle and you know i've got a lot of messages from friends and family saying you know oh i just really enjoyed this and uh, and it brought a laugh to my face and i needed that during that time and so that's that that's really fun if that happens yeah amazing with with the seven series that you've been commentating on uh, you and carlton anna Shawnee, people like Rob Vickerman. It seems like you guys are having great fun. Uh, what is so special about the Sevens? That's a that's a really good question. It's um, it it. I mean, let let's be fair. You get paid to talk about rugby, uh, and that's honestly the ultimate for any sports fan, right? And so for us, being on the World Series, it's it's an unbelievable, um, you know. Uh, uh, passion we get to fulfill, and we go to amazing cities. You get to call packed stadiums um, and you're working with the best commentators in the world and the best personalities and it's the chemistry that we all have with each other you know we go for a few drinks after we're done with the tournaments um, we have such a we make fun of each other we have telling stories there's a great vibe we have on and off the field and it's not dissimilar from being in a sports team being in a particularly in a seven side which is a small group of people that is always together um, and we've been with each other since 2015 so we really have that spark that chemistry and we can make fun of each other and uh, and work we really work well together and 
I think that's the the great thing how World Rugby is assembled. Um, you know, a, a bunch of folks from different walks of life, um, and we really I'm glad it comes through because we do have the best time ever. Um, and to top it off, obviously, you know, we, we we get paid to be there, which is just a dream come true. Yeah, it's amazing. We we well, for me, from my perspective, I enjoy the sevens so much, especially with that. Um, so like you say, that chemistry that you guys bring to the party, because there's already a party. The Sevens is designed to be a party. It's a faster, it's a more it's an enjoyable, sort of shorter um, uh, version that more people can get behind, you know, and adding a bit of, you know, fun to it like you guys do um, sells the, the game in that format massively. Well, and, and, and you hit the nail on the head. It's because it's so fun, you, you want to share that. You want to share that excitement, that laugh as well. And we get fr- more free reign in sevens to be more of ourselves, right? And I think that that's huge and important. And, and as you said, promoting the game to, to the younger generation and to people from all over the world, it's very important not to be old and stale. And so... I think that's also why when when Rugby World Cup selected their commentators, they wanted to have, I suppose, the, you know, the the voices for the next generation, right? Uh, and that social media clip, that soundbite, um, you know, that that little chirp, you you kind of need that to to keep the game going and spreading. And World Rugby, you've done a brilliant job of growing the game, you know, to hundreds of countries and millions of people around the world. Yeah, no, definitely. Which is your favorite one to go to? Seven series. Yeah. Town. Yeah, that, yeah, that's another good question because there's so many good stops. Um, I, I really enjoyed Dubai. Going back to Dubai recently, I'd been there 10 years ago playing and they really do a unique setup. It's in the desert, so they've got a lot of space, obviously, but they have very family-oriented setup. Then they have, you know, obviously the beer gardens, everything else. So they got a bit of everything. I love that. Uh, Hong Kong, of course, is the iconic one, yeah. but Cape Town for me is special. It's special, obviously, from from growing up there and being a, being a South African uh, you know, youngster spending m- half my life there. And then, you know, having family and friends and going with my mom, uh, you know, to, 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 to Cape Town and having 50,000 fans cheering, going wild. So for me, it, it definitely s- stands out being in the mother city. Oh, amazing. That um, you can't get better than by the Table Mountain, that stadium just there. And it's summer. It's a summer sport, isn't it? Yes. And, and that is the. Take them to the summer you sort of it, window. Exactly. You're so right. So all the spots we go to is, is brilliant, weather and conditions. And uh, all the other commentators that came to Cape Town, a lot of them had been there first time. They were just blown away. You know, going on a Camps Bay beach, you know, having drinks with the sunset, the mountain, the background, um, and, and also the affordability as a foreigner going there. They just couldn't believe it. Sean Maloney was grinning for the full week and was like, you can't believe he goes this what this whole steak meal and a bottle of wine everything is is you know five dollars whatever the exchange rate was he just was uh, yeah you get you get value for your money that's for sure look you were part of this uh, rugby world cup 2019 that commentating team that was assembled in japan Uh, first time has gone that uh, to the asian sort of to an asian country um tell me um what games um did you uh, get yourself into and w- what moments stood out for you in those games yeah so firstly you know just 
for me as a you know South African and rugby enthusiast, you know, meeting and traveling and working with Joel Stransky for the month that was that was very special. I'd known um, our sideline commentator Santiago Gomez Cora fairly well from the Sevens World Series, and I was just in Argentina with the Under Twenty Championship, so I got to spend some time there. But um, you know, I think firstly, as a broadcasting crew, right, the Sevens we just spoke about is different because we've known each other for five years, so that's easy. So meeting somebody and then calling a game with them, it's an intimate experience. You're sitting right next to them. You need to know, you know, have that sort of chemistry. And with Joel, it was very easy to develop that and with Santi obviously as well. So so from that point of view, it was, it was really special and fantastic. The, um, the games, calling the games, we did 10 pool games. Um, it was really cool to do the USA, you know, where I, where I currently live and, and know a lot of the players. Mm-hmm. So USA England was a huge honor. But then to do the Springboks when they played Canada, you were at that game, as you mentioned. Um, that was just definitely a personal um, all-time highlight. I got a chance to do the Springboks, but it was a B-side when they traveled to Washington, D.C. to play Wales B. So this was, you know, unbelievable to, to do the World Cup uh, champions. Yeah. Um, and then the match we spoke about, that Japan-Samoa um, game. So we arrived at the stadium, you know, four or five hours before the game, and it's not open yet to the crowds. And you could see 40,000 fans lined up already at that time, all Japanese fans wearing their jersey. And as the gates opened, and this is several hours before the game, they were sprinting. And I I couldn't believe the excitement they had to get their merchandise, to get in line, to get to their seats. Um, And so uh, the way that game finished as well with the Matsushima scoring, uh, it, it it was absolutely amazing. No, I can imagine that um, that whole experience when I was there, seeing how the Japanese have taken the world in, and how they made sure that we had we coming in had fun, but also that they had fun. You know, um, even though sometimes you can't speak to the person next to you uh, in the seat, you can see the excitement you can uh, you can feel the excitement i was at the japan south africa game uh, that quarter final you know and that was a tight enough game for everybody to be really tense but the excitement for when they're doing well and etc it was just incredible to see yeah, that's that's the thing. Like when Japan beat South Africa at the previous World Cup, that was great. It was a, a wonderful moment in sport, and then for them to host and 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 share that with, with everybody, particularly uh, thousands of new Japanese fans, and having their jerseys sold out from day one. I mean, it was just yeah. the excitement, the thrill. Um, just love the Japanese. I tried to swap one of my old London Scottish shirts to to them and uh, for one of the Japanese sort of international shirts but no chance no chance. no you didn't well listen i actually got one so how cool is this um during one of the rugby games they showed the japanese fans and their jerseys and i mentioned saying if anybody has a, a japanese rugby jersey i'd love to get my hands on one because it was sold out and that was during the game and i said it obviously as a more of a joke somebody reached out from canterbury australia and actually sent me a japanese jersey it was one of the last few ones they had um so I, i'm really really stoked to, to wear that yeah, one with pride amazing and what else did you experience in japan and the rugby world cup there well i'm definitely taking my wife back she wasn't able to come along that trip because it was so busy but really enjoyed the people as you mentioned they were so friendly and helpful and and as a society they're very respectful as well um the country itself we spent a lot of time in the south just of of south of tokyo so we were in places like kobe osaka fukuoka and kumamoto and the the you know one way into the culture is the food and it was so cool trying new things at the street izakayas and, you know, the, the food they were grilling on the side and having some drinks and being like the outdoor little vibe was just was just fantastic, you know. And so um, 
you know, I got a chance to go to, you know, this was only my, what, third or fourth World Cup in South Africa in 95. I was there as a fan in England in 2015. And then in 2011, uh, I was in New Zealand as a media manager for the US Eagles. And so for this one, as, uh, you know, being so close to the action, uh, it was just just remarkable. And of course, having South Africa win it in Japan as well, uh, that was just the icing on the cake. Yeah, yeah there's a, a great story that um, with South Africa. So, um, you know, it's a totally different thing commentating than playing, you know, commentating or calling shots from the fly-off or the back, uh, somewhere in the backs. Um, so let's talk about, you know, what position you played. I'm sure it was fly-off or did you play any, any other positions in the back? Yes. So when I was at when I was younger, when I was at school at Rondebosch, I played in the centers actually, surprisingly. Okay. Very, very small. Outside center number thirteen. And um, you know, it was uh I was probably what, eighty kilograms only. And I remember playing against all the Afrikaans schools, you know, the Paul Boys, Paul Jim and Paul Russ and those brilliant schools. Um and actually I played against Maurice Hubert when we were at first team um and uh Chum uh, was number one in the country i think we were number eight or so and they yeah. beat us in that game um but it was it was really cool they were able to go against the bigger players and then i played at uct i also played outside center and against a lot of the legends from stellenbosch and the the, the martis um but we had we had some we had some good teams we had uh brent russell in our team he was our fly off in the, the under 20s and we went unbeaten that year wow. first time that uct had beaten stellenbosch in many many years and then at first team, we actually drew into Varsity back then. This is 2002. We drew with them Adel and Stellenbosch. Had a wonderful night out in the, in the old Winelands. And then uh, at home, we won the return fixture. So we had some we had some good good clashes. Um, and uh, But for me, I suppose, yes, I played Flaff later when I came to the US uh, just because the ball didn't come out as frequently, right? So I had to move closer to the action. <laughs> and then for the US in sevens, actually, then they moved me to scrum half because, again, the, the positions are pretty interchangeable. Um, and so I was, I, I enjoyed just being close to the action. Um, and I had some big forwards like Todd Clever to look after me in the sevens game. Um, uh, Luke, we'll come back to your, your rugby then. Let's talk about growing up in South Africa and um, Cape Town. And you mentioned, obviously, the games you've had in Rondebosch. But what did you take from a place like Cape Town? What, what are the fondest memories you can take? Yeah, so I, I just was just very blessed to grow up in, in a place like Cape Town, you know, one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Um, and I still list it as the top one, you know, when people ask me favorite place to travel. Um, but I think I think Rondebosch and the society we grew up with there was, you know, provided an unrivaled balanced education. And it really shaped me into the person I am today. The, the values that, that we have um, and that you admire so much about rugby were on display there. And obviously, my parents were huge role models in my life, um, but so were my teachers at Ronnebosch and, and, you know, people that I surrounded myself with. I think as a young kid, you want to, you know, you want to be outside. You want to, well, I want to be outside and play sports. And Ronnebosch has 20 or so sports fields and a brilliant group of friends from all walks of life, you know. And so I think that was the best time was riding a bicycle um, to a sports field, playing touch rugby in the afternoons. Uh, with the boarders or the day boys um, and just the friendships you you made off the field as well. Like our biggest rivalry was, was with bishops and we just love the 400 meters away. There's this unbelievable school and we're, we're, we're nearby. And when we play our first team fixture against them, if we were at home, we would wait near, near the first team field and they would run from their change room all the way across the Stroh Tully Allen Road 
onto the field and you can hear the metal studs clink. And that was like th- those iconic memories with a packed, packed, packed uh, high school field, um, but then being good friends with them off the field um, and, and later in life as well. We teamed up then at UCT. I think those are probably the best memories you, you take from that. And at university, I think their social life was the best part, right? That's, you know, a lot of people enjoy that. And rugby was no different. Playing for the Ike Tigers, we had some great games, as I mentioned, on the field. But we we won every party. And that was that was just so much fun. And, and Nick Mallard, in fact, uh, <laughs> ended up uh, on a dare tackling him at a very fancy sporting event while he was a Springbok coach. Um, and I still I still credit that for uh, that. That was the reason I never played uh, any higher in South Africa. <laughs> yeah, yeah p- potentially. Look, um, you, um, your family is still there, are they? Yes, my mom is still there. That's right. My father unfortunately passed away a few years ago, um, but my mom she listens to all the games and and when I'm in Cape Town and we go to the sevens together, it's just that's a very very special times. My mom actually was a wonderful sports sports person. Uh, she played field hockey. She swam. Uh, she's in the Guinness Book of Records also for nonstop tennis. She was at Stellenbosch University, yeah, as a student. Her and three guys set a record. I think they played for like 48 hours straight. Um, they were allowed to take a five-minute break every hour, um, you know, and there's a beautiful black and white photo um, in the Guinness Book of Records of her with a wooden tennis racket and her, her three teammates, you know, so wow. she definitely set the standard. Yeah, that's amazing. Luke, um, you were, like myself, um, we were fortunate enough to experience Nelson Mandela's hand, uh, handing over the trophy to the Springboks in 95, and it shaped um, your life as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, about that? Yeah, yes. So, you know, that that's 95 time period. I remember as a 16-year-old South African, I remember when Nelson came, became the president, there was, there was a sense, you know, amongst, you know, a, a lot of us white South Africans that, you know, Things were going to change, which was much needed and great. But were there were was there going to be any violence? You know, were people going to be harmed? Were houses going to be taken away? Were we going to be on the streets? You know, and so would that be reversed? So I remember, you know, thinking, you know, these these concerning thoughts. But then seeing Nelson Mandela, you know, wearing the number six jersey of Francois Pinar, using rugby as that vehicle for social change. Um, I'll never forget the opening game when South Africa beat um, Australia. I, I went out. I've never I never bunked out during the house. You know, uh, during the week I was a very good good model student. But that was a, a moment to celebrate. I remember going out into the streets and people from everywhere were out and about celebrating and having the time of their lives coming together. And that truly that moment obviously has stayed with me for the rest of my life. Nelson Mandela has has been you know an unbelievable icon for all of us. And th- from that moment, I knew I wanted to use sport. And make a difference as well, and that actually led me to when I was in the USA. When I when I arrived, I got involved with Play Rugby USA, which we'll chat about later. Then they particularly use rugby as a as a vehicle for social change, particularly amongst inner city kids that potentially might not have access to positive role models. And that is something that um, you know you can change someone's life. And uh, I've absolutely loved being involved with that. Yeah, no, I uh, it certainly had a massive impact on me, and seeing that power that sport has just to bring change and bring some unity and bring change in people and inspire people, you know. Um, uh, it sort of shaped my sort of direction and how I want to get involved, where I want to get involved, why I get involved, etc., etc. And 
it's just one of those things, even with rugby coffee, this is the same thing with Tina as my business partner, who's um, feel, has got that same experience, you know. So we share that, and it's it's amazing. Um, so you then move to the States. So adopting a new country, playing for a new country, you've got a, uh, I'm sure she's American, American wife, um, you know, so tell us a bit about that journey. Yeah, so after I finished at University of Cape Town, uh, I had a friend, uh, Hilton Womack, who was who traveled to America and he was working there in Los Angeles. And so he, he met up with a local rugby club called the Occidental Old Boys. And their head coach randomly was a guy that went to Rondebosch named James Walker. And he was about 10 years ahead of me. So I didn't know him at the time, but he was an American. So he invited me to come across and spend uh, you know six months there in, in California and had a, had a brilliant time playing rugby for the side, um, 15 aside. And then during the summer, we did some sevens. And that really was, was amazing. Because in South Africa at the time, we had one sevens tournament a year at UCT. And I, and I loved it. Absolutely loved it, but it was one tournament. So coming to the US, playing in you know seven or eight tournaments during the summer months, going to Las Vegas, to San Diego, to Santa Barbara, all over was was amazing. Then I went back to South Africa and they got me a visa to come back for a year and a half. And in that time period, um, I got a chance to meet my wife-to-be, um, who was originally from Boston but was living in Los Angeles and studying there. And we actually met at this – there's only one South African restaurant in LA called the Springbok Bar and Grill. And uh, it was uh, – yeah, it was, it was fortuitous that we met there. And then – I didn't realize that, but after playing more sevens in the next couple of years, um, I got an opportunity to go to the USA sevens tryouts. And when the coach called me, I, I thanked him so much. And I said, I apologize. I can't come because I'm South African. And then he reminded me, well, you've just been, you got married recently and you've been in the country for three years. So that was the rule at the time. And so I became eligible to represent the USA on the sevens world series. And uh, honestly, it took me by surprise. I didn't know that could happen. And uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was the start of my, you know, journey here in the US and I've been here now about 17 years. Amazing. So what, which tournament was your first one for the US? My first, yeah, my first tournament was the Wellington Sevens at Westpac Stadium, the Caketon, uh, home of the Hurricanes. Uh, it was uh, a, a surreal and amazing moment running out on that field, packed stadium. Uh, half the stadium had been funneled with 20 million drinks. You could see that. They enjoyed their party. Um, and, then, and then, you know, playing in South Africa, that was just, you know, it was, it was so cool, uh, and the couple of players that I that I played with at UCT or Ronnebosch were in the in the team. So I played against Kobani Bobo, my captain at Ronnebosch yeah. Boys High School, and then um, uh, uh, Umpo Mbozo. He was at UCT with us and played against him as well. And you know, Carl Brown and Paul Dalport and all those guys who were at Sacks or were close by schools. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was very special. And I, I remember switching jerseys with Frankie Horn. I still have his jersey. Uh, so those those memories just last forever. Amazing! And you, you, you did you play um, sevens and fifteens for the US or just the the sevens? Just seven. So for 15s, I played at Balmont Shaw. Uh, we had a we had a really good side. In fact, so I I filled in. They called me up and said they wanted me to to play in the quarters and semis of the was then called the Super League because uh, Francois Fillion happened to be a South African player but eligible for America. He was a fullback for the US and Mike Herkus. Also from the same club, Belmont Shaw, he was the Flav, originally from Australia. So both of them could play Flav. So I was like the their third Flav backup, uh, you know, but I was playing sevens for the USA. So I kind of focused on that time period because 
we honestly were traveling so much. And don't forget back then for the US, we were not a core team. We were invited to participate in three tournaments in the year. And that was in 2007. We played in the New Zealand Sevens. We, we played in, in San Diego at Peco Park. And then we went to Hong Kong. We did really well. And we had a bunch of core players that were going to do great things like Taku Nguenya. You can ask Brian Abana yeah. about his, <laughs> his World Cup. And then uh, Todd Clever and Chris Wiles and, and a bunch of other, other legends. And then we traveled to six tournaments the following year, plus the Sevens World Cup qualifier in, in, in the, uh, the Bahamas, and the following year to 10 tournaments and a World Cup. So it got busier and busier, and, and we were not full-time rugby players. We were working our day jobs and you know flying to San Diego, training for a week or two, and then traveling for two weeks around the globe. So it was very, very busy. And so for me, I just chose to focus on Sevens. Um, and, and also, let's be fair, as a smaller player too, it was, it was wise. Um, I never once got injured and so was able to play um, you know, uh, throughout my career like that. Amazing. You, you, you played and won some national championships though in the U.S., Yes, and, th and that was with that team, Belmont Shaw. So re real real great group of players. Originally started with the Occidental All Boys, and they became the Oxy Tigers in sevens. Uh, James Walker was our coach, who now um, has founded Tiger Rugby with another South African, Paul Holmes. And, um, yeah, we won the sevens uh, title once. We were finalists, runners-up a couple of times as well. And then the 15s, we won a national title as well. So that was really special and fun to be part of that. And and as a coach, uh, later I got a chance to coach the Occidental College side, the men's side, and to a national sevens title. So it was really cool to be involved with those 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 winning winning sides. And, and again, it was probably – while it's really, it's really nice, I, like I don't even know where those medals or trophies are, it's probably just the camaraderie and friendship you share with those players. That that was probably the most special part. And, and you can you meet up with for a drink these days and talk about those old legendary times. It's so great. Yeah, no, the memories you make together is, is special um, in this game. So I, I want to talk to you about um, podcasts. We're on our podcast. We... We know we, we're not professionals, but we're enjoying it. We enjoyed the first three, and now we, we've got this one. And uh, we really want to tell a story. Uh, you've, got, you've been involved in many, and you've, you, you've been a guest on many, hosted some, but you also have with some, someone else, the Maya Rugby Hive, which has had a really su successful launch. And, you know, you're, you're, you're interviewing... Um, legends of the game and you, your tagline is every legend has a story so tell me about all of this and 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 how did you guys come up with this and what's the idea um, and what is the plan further yeah, firstly, you know, your podcast is great. And that's the, the awesome thing is like there's no set way to go about to do anything. Um, everybody has a different, unique perspective and a different, unique story to tell. And that's, and that's what it's all about. Um, I, I've, been, I've been told in the past, you know, because I've been broadcasting for about eight, eight years or so, that I needed to do a podcast back in the day. But I didn't have the time and energy um, or skill set back then. I was traveling so much every weekend commentating in a different city or a different country. So when the pandemic started, I got a call from Robin McDool, who is an international sevens coach, coached Mexico and helps now with Canada. And um, he and I played against each other in the Sevens World Series, him for Canada. And so he said to me, Dallin, he was thinking about doing a podcast, but he wants to team up uh, with me uh, and, um, you know, would we, could we do it together? And so that kind of sparked, re-sparked my interest. And during the time, there was not much on the go. So, you know, obviously spent a lot of time learning how to, 
do a podcast and and again we're still learning as we go but i think the premise is really cool we love chatting to our guests who are former or current international sevens or 15 players from the men's or women's game and you know the access to people obviously during this time has been phenomenal chatting to brian abana you know i don't think we'd get a chance to catch up with him in normal day life because he'd be so busy um and um i think the the plan is you know we've already recorded enough episodes to last all the way to the beginning of 2021 um, and then, of wow. course, we can get a bunch of new folks involved too. Um, and so I think the premise was, you know, we had access to many legends, um, you know, from, from different parts of the world. And so instead of just focusing on North America, where we're based, let's, you know, let's get the Brazil coaches on, you know, let's speak to somebody in Japan. And so kind of like spread that love around the world. Um, and there's many different ways. And there might be some other podcasts we get involved that focus on major rugby or focus on the American or Canadian players. But for now, it's really cool to hear people's stories from all over the world. And they're, they're, they're fairly similar but of how people overcome different challenges to get where they are going, you know. And uh, and again, that central theme about people giving back to the sport, a lot of our guests are involved with philanthropic work, and that's what we really love as well, you know, that they use their their, their power for good. Yeah, um, congratulations on that. It's really good listening, and um, it's very good from, from his legends to sort of um, be happy to, to chat and op- chat openly and have have a bit of fun as well, and it, it, it gives access, doesn't it? The, this, these podcast people have more time currently to listen to these, and you know it's great to hear these stories. So congratulations on that. Thank you very much, and and obviously same to you guys as well. It's a real honor to be be a part of Rugby Coffee. <laughs> no, we we as honored as you are to have you involved. So let's talk about your wife. Um, Verity explains. Is she um, a rugby expert? Um, I know she's an actor, isn't she? Um, yes. Just tell us a little bit more about her. Yes. So Verity is an actor. Uh, she uh, she is hilarious, um, and I do love that her name has gone from Verity Branco to Verity Explains. And the amount of comments and the amount of support from the rugby community is amazing. Like I will film something professionally done, uh, put it online, some highlights will package together, but Verity will just film something after a few drinks and just give her a rugby prediction and that gets shared a million times. And that's fantastic. Uh-huh. So it, it's so cool. Um, she, she definitely loves sevens. Uh, she, she obviously loves the Springboks. Um, we've got a chance uh, for to take her to the All Blacks against Ireland when Ireland won that remarkable game at Soldier oh, Field wow. many years back. And so she, know, she knows her rugby. She knows her players. She doesn't watch any games. And the best thing is that she's always got a prediction for something. And um, and so that's uh, that's hilarious. She, uh, she's, she's very funny so that's why you know those videos just make me laugh and if anything you know i keep encouraging her to put something on like a youtube channel or 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 have something on the go there um and so we'll we'll see what she gets up to um but um she uh, she just definitely a remarkable woman um very very powerful uh with her manifestations as well um we met about 15 years ago she got a full scholarship to the University of Texas, the Longhorns, and that's when she did a master's program there. And so when she's not teaching or acting, she's also teaching and helping you know folks in college at that different level. And she recently just got into Boston University. So we'll be teaching in the acting department there. So that's oh, really wow. exciting. Okay. Um, but but we'll definitely post some more Verity Explains videos so that the audience can check her out. Yeah, they're amazing. I enjoyed them. Um, but look um, – that's great, and I'm, I, I want to talk to you about uh, Major League Rugby USA 
Um, will there be a World Cup soon there? Will that make a massive difference in in the, in the game in the USA? You know, you are close to um, the people there and the rugby there. You know what's going on. Um, do you think it will have an impact or is the big uh, sports like the basketball, the gridiron, is that just too big? You bring up some very good points. Um, the, the sporting landscape here in America uh, is very busy. Uh, there's so much money in all the other American sports. So you're right. Rugby is a very, very much a French sport. And you ask the average person, they would probably know what the Haka is. They've probably heard of the All Blacks. They might not even know that their country has a very successful women's and men's sevens team. And um, so I suppose to answer your question, firstly, I would say that when I came to the U.S. in 2003, there was no professional rugby and no, and no 15-a-side competition. Of course, the U.S. was on the Sevens World Series doing really well in the, in the women's side. And the men's side, you know, in the last few years under Mike Friday have been world beaters and been phenomenal. The, uh, the Major League Rugby uh, League has certainly grown the game, grown the fan base. The games are now televised on CBS Sports and, and Fox and ESPN. And that has made a big difference as well. But they're still a far way off to compete uh, uh, with the rest of the other sports. And I don't think rugby has to, right? I think it's, you know, outside of football, when those fans start watching rugby, they realize how exciting it is, uh, particularly sevens, because they see the FOSS scoring and don't need to worry too much about the laws of the game or the rules. Uh, but they see the excitement, they see the hits. And one thing the average American person will say is that they are super impressed by their athleticism and they and they think rugby players are slightly crazy for playing without padding, where we know as rugby players that it's actually safer because you don't leave with your head because you're not wearing a helmet as in football. And so the tipping point, I think, would probably be in a, a, you know at the Olympic Games, if the US can medal in in the women and men's sevens, that would 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 put rugby more on the map. A rugby World Cup would do that as well, but I think we're probably a few years off on that, twenty twenty seven, maybe twenty thirty one, which is still a while away, yeah. but. You know, like when World Rugby took took uh, the World Cup to Japan, that is certainly a way to increase the game in newer markets, and uh, and the US would be a wonderful place for 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 the World Cup. Um, I just I just hope it uh, I hope it I hope it happens, and I know the Olympics will be here, and the Sevens will be in California in 2028, and so you know it would have been amazing if we did get 2027 here, but we'll have uh, to wait and see. Well, yeah, let's let's hope, um, even if it's the 2031. You know, I can't wait to go to America and see how that country then sort of get going with and supporting the game and really get to know the game even more. But, um, yeah, going back to sevens, uh, I mean, Mike um, Friday has, and his team has made a massive impact on the seven series. Um is there a crossover in terms of what they do with the men's to to the women's? Because the women's have been doing really well as well. Yeah, the, the women's sevens actually, uh, you know, were the um, the leading program in terms of you know the results. Um, the women's rugby was was huge when I arrived here in two thousand and three, and had been for many years. The the women's eagles had won the World Cup, women's World Cup in nineteen ninety one, and so you know in South Africa at the time we didn't even have women's rugby. Yeah. The Mbokodo, the women's sevens, only recently played the Cape Town sevens, and that's the first time I got to see them play live. So. 
you know, the the coaches were interesting because Chris Brown, who's the head coach of the women's sevens team, was working with Mike Friday for many years on the men's program. So he switched across to the women's side. So some some of their 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 their, uh, their base is the same, obviously with the, the coaching frame. They obviously train at the same venue. Um, you know, they they definitely take a few things from each other. Um, but but their programs, you know, the 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 women's side is is competing, of course, against New Zealand and Australia. Those two sides have been remarkable in recent years and the women's team has beaten them several times um and so they're they're in a race to finish in the top three always um and with the men's side mike friday well, i mean he was remarkable for england for kenya um and then of course taking south africa uh, taking uh, sorry the the u.s to, to new levels it used to be when the u.s played you know south africa or teams like that you know there'd be an outside chance but not you know you wouldn't put money on it and now you're backing you're backing the usa uh it, it's amazing and it's wonderful players like perry bacon danny barrett and colin isles just excitement machines and those players are players that most most of them are generally come from other sports. They've yeah. either seen it on TV or heard about it and switched across. And I think that is that's the 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 uh, that could be a winning recipe for years to come as well. Those crossover athletes switching to rugby. Yeah, because the, the American athlete. If you think of American athlete, you think there's a performance athlete, you know. And if they cross over to rugby, fantastic. And hopefully, we'll see many. Yes. Let's hope. Let's hope. Look, um, Rugby Coffee, you're a brand ambassador and we're very happy to have you involved. Um, what do you think can we achieve and why did you think you can get involved? Well, the, the, the first thing I saw about Rugby Coffee was the philanthropic philanthropic arm that you guys would support a charity of the ambassador's choice. And so that's straight away, um, you know, outside of my love for coffee, which I'm a huge coffee fan and funnel cups every morning, um, that was really unique. And and I'm always looking to be attached to programs uh, and initiatives that are help help support you know society, help support people. Um, and even if you make a difference in one person's life, that that is what you've done. And so rugby provides that opportunity. And with rugby coffee, um, you know, I think it's really exciting that you know Play Rugby USA is is the charity that I've nominated who. I've worked for in the past in Los Angeles and they're based in New York. Um, they, you know, like Nelson Mandela, they use sport for good, sport for positive change, you know, um, creating fun games to to help people, um, you know, achieve more in their life and get more out of it. And, you know, with Roby Coffee, I know we have a chance to do that. I'm really excited to be a part of it. Um, and, of course, you know, if if we can, you know, like any company, if you enjoy the product and they do good off the field, so to speak, um, it's an absolute win-win. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I mean, we you put us in touch with Play Rugby USA. I had a, a good call with Will Snape Rogers, um, who used to play here at Northampton Saints in the UK. Um, and from the off, from what, what I've seen, what you've told me, what I've seen online and what you've told me, and speaking to Will, it is something we want to be supporting. And, um, you know, this is how we can work together. People who are from the rugby community, our brand ambassadors, us selling the coffee, and then that 10% go into a pot, and then we can distribute that to um, the various charities that we partner with. And we hope that will help making a massive difference you know so let's see how we go we we are busy now um, with the final samples 
um, of coffee and, and then there's a few other things that needs to fall in place and then we're going to start rolling out the coffee on a pre-order first and then um, yeah and then from then on hopefully the traction is there and we can keep going and um, in a year's time we'll come back and say here's the pot of money that we've created there's the 10 percent now let's go and see how this can make a difference so thanks for your help on that and thanks for nominating play rugby usa as well oh, i absolutely love it and and the wonderful thing is that you know the america is a huge consumer base and so we hope we can do really well um, with the products this side of course um and then as you said make an even larger difference in, in people's lives can't wait awesome now to end this uh, i've done this in a, in a last one a last episode with um some of the guys, the brand ambassadors, um, we give you a word and we want you to respond instantly, you know, immediately with anything that comes up. Now, I normally do three, but I'm going to add a fourth one as well. So let's see how you go. All right. The MLR. Opportunity. Fly offs. Sleek hair. <laughs> coffee. Rugby coffee. Uh, and Bo McLaren. The voice. The voice of rugby. Awesome. Dallin, um, again, thank you very, very much. Um, really appreciate your time. Um, and I know it's gone to almost 45 minutes now, but if, um, it's great for people to to get to know you if they haven't already know, got to know you through the different podcasts, but also your involvement with us and how we can make a difference. I just want to thank you for everything you guys are doing. Um, so so proud to be a part of Rugby Coffee. Can't wait to share the love, share the Java, get uh, get a, get a few samples out in people's hands. You know, so continue the brilliant work that side, and a real honor to be involved. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you, everybody, and we'll see you at episode five soon. Thank you. Shut the gates.